or they lose their short-term uh, memory, but the long-term memory is there, and then you sing a song, they recognize, and then it's finally something they know, that they know. So by recognizing the song, they're recognizing a part of themselves, too, at the same time. So uh, that's quite, it's quite, uh, I don't know, it's quite profound and, and beautiful when you see that, that light. And in that moment when they are singing, it's really the, the song that really reaches a part of themselves that's still well. Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Lea Roseman. Gertrude Letourneau, known to some as Trudy, is a flutist, pianist, singer, and a therapeutic musician. During this episode, she tells many moving stories of the residents she's worked with in her many years working at Pearly Health. During the episode, she frequently breaks into song and plays a variety of flutes, as well as paints a vivid picture of the fulfilling role she plays working with veterans. We also spoke about her mentors, Peter Weigold, Jeffrey Gilbert, and Marie-Claire Seguin. This was an episode very much about going out of your comfort zone, connecting with your audience, and learning to slow down and enjoy every day. Hi, Gertrude. Thanks so much for joining Hello, me. Hello. Pleasure to be with you. Yes, thank you for having me. I heard you play live in a recital many years ago, and it really, I do remember how, what a beautiful presentation the concert was. You seem to have a unique connection with the audience, and you brought every selection to life and you played flute and you sang, and it was actually a very memorable concert. Oh, well, well, thank you, thank you. I'm trying to remember which concert it was, but I really do like to mix the singing and the flute playing. And uh, for me to talk to the audience and to engage them in, in the music, in the concert, um, I don't know, I can't do that. I can't do it without doing that, you know? I have to... Uh, uh, yeah, I have to connect with the audience and talk to them, and uh, yeah. But when I heard that concert, I wasn't aware of the work you do, which is uh, four days a week at the Pearly. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And you were suggested to me by another musician that you'd be an excellent guest. And the more I learned about you, I thought, wow, this is such a beautiful fit for the series. Because I really try to highlight how deep and broad a life in music can be, and also themes of connection and um, you know, how we have to be flexible and how we have to learn about ourselves, you know, and be open. All these come to fruition in, in your life. Yeah. So yeah. do you want to start about how you got into this work and what, what it is you do there at the Pearly Veterans Home? Yeah. Um, well, I never thought when I was studying music, I never thought that I would do that work with seniors. That's for sure. And it's all my journey through school, through life that brought me there. I, when I, after, I, after doing my bachelor degree and master's degree, I did two courses on performance and communication, one in Toronto and then I went to London, England. And there, it was at the Guildhall, it's a course called the Performance and Communication Skills. So in that course, there was a placement and where I played, uh, made, it was about uh, making music in the community. That was what it was about, using improvisation. So anyway, in the placement, I was uh, working with uh, young adults with uh, learning disabilities. And it really clicked, you know. So when I, after the year in London, I came back in Toronto. And 
I was ready to do anything because after studying, I was broke. So, uh, and then I found a little ad in the Globe and Mail. It was a school for kids with learning disabilities. So then I worked there for nine years teaching music to them. So then when we decided, my husband and I, to move to Ottawa, I was looking for work. And he found, in, the, in those days, we found jobs in the newspaper. Uh, anyway, so he, he saw that job at the Pearly Rideau. At the time, it was called Pearly Rideau Veterans Health Center. Now they call it uh, Pearly Health. And so that was um, to uh, develop music programs for seniors. So seniors, frail, elderly, so people with limitations, the same way... So it was related to the, the work I had done before with kids with learning disabilities, you know, people with limitations. So that's how I, so I applied and uh, because I, I mean, I'm, uh, I could, of course, play the flute. That was my main, my, it is my main instrument, but I was able to sing. I was able to uh, accompany the singing uh, on the piano. So I've been there for 22 years. So that's it. That's how it got me there. Yes. And this program at the Guildhall, can you talk a little bit about it? I was curious to learn more. At the Guildhall, that was the, the director was Peter Renshaw, and the main uh, teacher was Peter Weigel, who was a, uh, an English uh, composer and also uh, very strong in uh, improvisation and making connections between musicians through improvisation, through workshop, and he has been to Canada quite a few times. And uh, that, cause when I studied in Toronto, he came, he did a two-week workshop. Uh, so that's after the two weeks, I said, okay, I want to go to do your course. And he said, well, you're in. You have seen me work for two weeks. Just find the money and you're in. So, uh, so the course was, the first class was actually a Tai Chi class. That was a very, so every, I can't remember, every week, I suppose, there was a Tai Chi class. And it was, um, and then there was, it was based on improvisation and work making, work, doing workshops in the community for elderly, for kids, for, and I remember going to a mental, uh, mental institute. Um, yeah, so it was all based on that. And we had to compose, which was a big, a big challenge for me. And it was all what was interesting and difficult for a classical musician like me. You know, as a classical musician, we want to result, we want results, we want something to be excellent, to be perfect if we can. But this course was all about the process, the process of making music. We even had concerts where we would show work and work in progress, and I thought, oh my God, I, I fought it to the end. And I finally understood that working at Pearly, because mm -hmm. the mu especially working with, uh, with the residents with dementia, it's all about the process, because if, if you wait for the, the result when you're when you're old and very old, because uh, I work mainly with uh, the veterans, and many of them are World War II veterans. So life is a process, because the end result is not always pleasant, and we're all going there. So that was very um, enlightening, you know, uh, when I realized, that, oh yeah, it, it is about the process 
of making music and um, yeah so that 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 so that was the, the course was very much uh, very much about that you know yeah mm-hmm. I've seen some of the the beautiful short uh, films you've done where it shows you interacting with the residents and I also saw the one in French on Rogers oh yes and it, it brought tears to my eyes to see those men singing in, in French with you I know and I was thinking there was in for that generation there was so much more of a sing-along culture there was the radio yes you know everyone knew the same songs yeah I don't think it'll be the same for our generation when we're their age in terms of a, a common repertoire you know what I mean yeah and also because um like even when I was a well, when I was a child, you know, we would gather around the piano, especially, of course, around Christmas time, and my mother would play the piano, and we would sing together, and my aunts would come to the house, and we, you know, there was this sing-along in the house, you know, in families, at church also, you know. So you may be right, I don't know what what the future will bring for that, but um, it, this is very much a part of, for them to... Uh, enjoy music and participate. There's a lot of sing sing along and and these old songs. When um, and when when a, a resident uh, has dementia or you know forgets a lot and they don't know where uh, you know they're looking for their wife, they're looking for their car, they don't know uh, where they are, and then you sing a song that they know because. I mean, we, we've seen that before. People don't remember, don't have, you know, they lose their short-term uh, memory, but the long-term memory is there. And then you sing a song, they recognize. And then it's finally something they know, that they know. So by recognizing the song, they're recognizing a part of themselves, too, at the same time. So uh, that's quite, it's quite... Uh, I don't know, it's quite profound and, and beautiful when you see that, that light. And in that moment when they are singing, it's really the, the song I mean, really reaches a part of themselves that's still well. You know, it's a bit like um, I mean, if, if someone has children. I remember when my children were young, and if, for example, if my son would hurt himself or did something wrong or he was crying, and then a few minutes later, you hear, you know, he's playing and he starts humming or singing. You say, oh, he's okay, you know, he's mm-hmm. he's well, you know, he's back to himself. So uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's fantastic to see, and it's very much at the moment, on the moment that the it's yeah, it's in the moment, the, the, in the present, because the past they forget, the future well, there might be not so much future, so everything is in the present. You know. Yeah, and and you don't share a past with these people either. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So it it's uh, yeah. I I I see them the way they are now. It's like when I worked in that that school with learning kid with learning disabilities in Toronto. It's called the Kohai Educational Center, and they the teach was a small private school. And the teachers did not tell me, did not put label. They did not put labels on any kids. Oh, this one is autistic. This one is uh, has Down syndrome or whatever. So it, I was taking them the way they were that day then, and it's a bit the same. 
in a way, it's the same thing. Sometimes to know the diagnosis and the assessment, of course, it's helpful in some cases, but sometimes just to take the person as he or she is right then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, then, then you work with that at that moment. And you've learned a, a huge repertoire of these songs that you didn't know before, especially because English is your second language. True. Yes. So how, how did you accumulate this repertoire? Would they request songs or were you given suggested lists? How did you research that? Well, to, to start, uh, I was working with, uh, with another musician and she knew a lot of repertoire. So we were, uh, we were as a team. Uh, so I learned a lot of songs through her. And at the time when I, so I started 22 years ago. So, so I, and then a lot with requests, of course, a lot of through requests from the, from the residents, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, and also I developed um, playing by ear because at, when I started, I mean, a song like Let Me Call You Sweetheart, I couldn't play that on the flute without the music. And then as the years went by, then the resident would ask me, well, do you know Danny Boy? Do you know this one? And then you kind of, you know, if you fiddle a little bit with the flute. And then, so now I can play by ear quite a few melodies, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I learned uh, the repertoire. And, and also, you, you learn, uh, I learned, uh, I started in November uh, 2000. So it was just before Christmas. So it was a good time because a lot of French so- Christmas songs are the same in English for the melody, for the music. And then you go through this different seasons or events. So January, it's Robbie Burns Day. So you learn the Scottish mm-hmm. songs and then the, the love songs and the Irish songs, songs about spring and all that. And I, I still do that, use themes every week. I change the theme of the songs we sing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the four days a week you work there, what does your schedule look like? I'm curious. Well, it's, uh, I start at 8.30 until 4.30. So there's a oh. lot in, the institu- in an institution like this, there's a lot of non-music uh, tasks that you have to do, which mm-hmm. is like writing progress notes on the residence. You see, uh, there's always uh, education videos that you have to do. Uh, we, we put together... Well, for the past two, for the past couple of years, we have put together videos instead of big concerts. But that's another. Well, that's a music. Uh, that's a great music part of it to do big concerts. Like for St. Patrick's Day, we used to be in the cafeteria and beat three, four musicians together. Uh, because we're very lucky at Pearly Health, we have three music therapists and two musicians. So you know, we we can put the a concert together. Um, so another task also, well, you know, you have to t- take care, like I'm, I'm the one at the moment anyway, responsible for getting the, the, we have what, 12 pianos to be tuned. So, you know, the, wow. so we have to have the, you know, to book the piano tuner and the equipment. We have a lot of equipment, microphones and all that. So to renew the equipment, what's broke, you know, there's a lot of, uh, other tasks to, to do and all also the, um, the communication with uh, with the residents and the, the with the family and the volunteers. So you know you walk down the hall and then you see family members. So there's a lot of uh, it's very social. It's a very social job, you know. Yeah. So the the the, the schedule. You know, I would do, for example, uh, my morning. I would do uh, some one to one visits, music visit, 
physical visit. And in the afternoon, usually I will do a group. So I gather the residents mm -hmm. and then we sing together. I play my flute. Uh, we talk about the songs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Hmm. So the music therapists have different kind of training, but yeah. it was what they do so different than what you're doing? Um, uh, well, I've been doing more and more therapeutic interventions through the year. Mm -hmm. I, I, at first, I was doing more group uh, uh, sessions. Um, they are, uh, yeah, they do, I mean, they are certified. They, are, they fall under the umbrella of the psychotherapist. So it's quite extensive, their training and their certification and all that. Uh, the job is it's similar. Uh, I guess they are more uh, maybe goal-oriented. Um, for example, if you have someone uh, who has uh, aphasia and has problem with speaking, in that case, well, they will work on a one-to-one and specific songs to make that person and they're going to work on that. So it's more, maybe a bit more deeply therapeutic. Uh, my, my goal is always, I used to say it was to bring joy, but I rephrase that. And the music is a tool to, um, uh, to reach them where they're well and to let the joy out, you know? So it's about the joy of the music. Well, sometimes, I mean, the music would, of course, bring tears, but when you can release that sadness after that, I feel that there's more room uh, for the joy. Yeah. You had told a story in this other interview about the song Lily Marlene. Oh, yeah. And the request you got. Yeah. Did you share that? Yeah, Lily Marlene, uh, that's the one uh, that goes like this, for those who don't know it. It's a very, it's a, it's a song that was composed, the poem first was composed by a German soldier during the, during the First World War. And it became a song during the Second World War. And it became a song that was more first in German, but that was translated to English and to French also. Maybe other language that I don't know, but uh, so it goes like this. Underneath the lantern by the barricade Darling, I remember the way you used to wait Was there that you whispered tenderly That you loved me, you'd always be my lily of the land, like my own lily Marlene. So we sang that with the group, a group of veterans. And then one veteran said, I know it in German. Would that be okay if I sing it in German? Because he did not want to offend any other veterans because, you know, they fought the Germans. So I asked the group, I said, is it okay if he sings in German? So they all said, yes, yes, yes. So we started in German. I will not sing it in German because I don't know it. So we sang the whole thing in German. Then he burst into tears. I mean, when you, know, when you see a, a, I don't know, 94-year-old World War II veterans just bawling. He was just crying. And then he was saying, he said, they were kids too, like us. And on their belt, it was written something like, uh, God be with us, you know, something like that. 
So it was the guilt of having to kill, to kill. And they were kids like, and it was just so, anyway, I'm, you know, I'm still moved by that. And it's been, I think, 20 years ago. And then, so after that, you know, then that's when we, you know, right, right away we, we, we share with the team, the care team. Uh, so then that there's a follow-up with that, you know. But that's, he had never said that to anybody, to share mm-hmm. that guilt. He had never uh, shared that with his family, his wife, or that was a... So the song brought that, all that sorrow and that guilt out. But I believe that... I believe it's good release, you know, for more joy after. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 75 odd years later, there's still PTSD that people suffer from. Yeah. And you had told me a story when we spoke before about a, a certain painting. Oh, yes, yes. There's a, a, a resident, he, um, again, World War II, uh, Navy veteran. He loved the flute. He loved it. So every Friday morning, I would go with my flute and I would play uh, Beautiful Dreamer. That was his favorite song. And he, so that morning, you know, he would see me and he recognized me. I would come, you know, did you bring your flute? And I would play, that was his favorite song. One morning I arrived and he went, he did not want me to come at all. And I said, well, I said, I brought my flute. No, 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 no. They're here was there looking around and they're here I said I know I said who's here they're here and they're watching us and I said are you sure I said yes I'm sure okay what do I know maybe they are here I don't know so I you know you agree of course you agree and anyway they're here and they're watching us and then I said I'm really tired can I just sit down for a minute I wanted a way in you know I wanted to know what was going on so he agreed, okay. So I sat down and I thought, okay, I'm in. So he was going on about that, that they're here and when they come here, they have to follow our, our laws and they're, yeah, they're watching us. And he was looking at the painting on the wall because at Pearly Health, we have a great creative arts uh, studio where the, the residents do paintings. So it was a beautiful painting made by residents. And I could see it was like the ocean, you know, a beautiful like, sky with pink in it and the shore with little lights. So I looked at the painting and I said, well, it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's the ocean. He said, no, it's a lake, it's a German lake. I said, oh, I see, and they're watching us. So on the painting, the little bright dot you saw, it was the German, oh, they're watching us. So I said, okay, so then it went on, it, you know, the conversation was, always about that they're watching us if they come to Canada they have to start follow our laws 
So I agree with him. Yes, people come to Canada. They have to follow our laws, etc. Anyway, so then I saw, it was just before Canada Day that year, and I saw in the corner by the window, there was a little Canadian flag. So I said, uh, I'll call him Jim, okay? So I said, Jim, I said, I have a song that I think you will like. If you don't like it, I'll stop right away, okay? So he agreed. So I opened my flute case, put my flute together, and I played this. So I played the whole, he let me play the whole O Canada. When we finished, he looked at me and his eyes were, you know, watery. And he said, that was beautiful. I just wanted to cry. I mean, it was just so, such a, so amazing. So anyway, and I said, yes, I said, O Canada, it is beautiful. Then I said, oh, I have another one you might like. So then I played Springtime in the Rockies and this one. So I played several songs and I ended up with the sailor's hornpipe because he was in the Navy. And then that was it. He was out of that crisis. Mm -hmm. And then as I was walking out, uh, the psychogeriatric nurse was coming and I told her the story. And so she said, oh, I got to, I got to see that. And so she came. So she said, oh, Jim, so what do you think of that painting? We said, well, I don't know, not much. So it was gone. So we changed the painting that day. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite a, you know, quite a powerful moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So most of the songs you sing with them are English, but there's some Francophone residents. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and there was one that came up. Oh, yeah, j'attendrai ton retour. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. That's true. We had a, a veteran who, uh, he was a politician. And uh, and he would, uh, he could not talk anymore because of his dementia, couldn't talk. But he would stand, you know, with a hand on the desk or something. And he would start and say, that's all he could say. Quite convincingly, but and then if I he would and then if I would go at the piano I was I would sing J'attendrai le jour et la nuit J'attendrai toujours ton retour. He would start to sing with the words. And we've seen that more than once that people who can't speak anymore but they can sing so it's uh yeah the music can be quite powerful <laughs> do you remember that song enough to share the whole song with oh, us oh sure so sure the song by the way it means uh i will wait for you night and day and it's often the song that um when i sing that in the concert or I think about the spouse of the uh, veterans who stayed here and still now, you know, when you have your loved one uh, going abroad. So it's, that's what it says, J'attendrai, I will wait for you night and day. J'attendrai le jour et la nuit, j'attendrai toujours ton retour. 
J'attendrai Car l'oiseau qui s'enfuit Vient chercher l'oubli Dans son nid Le temps passe et court En battant tristement Dans mon cœur si lourd Et pourtant j'attendrai Ton retour Beautiful. Thank you so much. Hi, just a quick break from the episode. I'm an independent podcaster who does all the many jobs required to produce the series, and there are a lot of costs I bear as well. Please consider either buying me a virtual coffee as a tip or becoming a monthly supporter starting at $3 Canadian, which is close to $2 US or 2 euros, and getting access to unique perks. The link is in the description. Now back to the episode. This might be an interesting time to talk about some of the um, vocal challenges you set yourself because you really started singing at the Pearly. It wasn't like you studied as a singer before. That's right. But then you took some wonderful workshops with Marie-Claire Seguin. Yes, that's true. That's true. To to prepare for something. <laughs> yes. Well, at first, um, I, I, my colleagues of the time, uh, and still now, I mean, my colleagues, or, or some of them are trained singers. So... I always felt very humble about singing, and then um, they we did a CD together of songs for kind of sing along songs, and I thought, oh, you girls, you do it. They no, 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 you sing too, Trudy. They call me Trudy at the party. So anyway, let's sing, and I needed, I wanted to have some. Uh, validation as a singer. I think that's what I was looking for. So I went to a uh, first workshop with Marie-Claire Seguin, uh, um, a, a three-day workshop, and a couple of years later, I went to Gaspésie. She um, teaches. Uh, Marie-Claire Seguin um, is a very uh, famous uh, singer from Quebec in the 70s with her twin brother, Richard Seguin. They, they, they were all part of that uh, movement in the 70s in Quebec, singing about the earth and singing with long hair and, you know, peace. And anyway, so, um, you know, I knew her from when I was a teenager. But anyway, she she was teaching these workshops that she calls them uh, La Chanson, Une Rencontre Avec Soi. So the song is a meeting with yourself. And so I, after the, uh, the week-long workshop in uh, Gaspésie, uh, one of the participants, he said, you know, he said, you should enter a competition in Montreal. It's called Ma Première Place des Arts. So in Montreal, Place des Arts is the big concert hall. And Ma Première, so my first time at the at the, at the Place des Arts, that's what it was called. So it was, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I don't know, uh, but the, the the competition was uh, to promote the new francophone songs, you know, French songs. So anyway, I entered uh, in 2016, and I I learned new song, new repertoire, and I went up to I was in the quarterfinal, and I did it again the following year, and I made it in the finals, and I was I mean. And and the most um, 
um, valuable thing, what, thing about that competition was the training that I did with Marie Claire Seguin because I went to her privately also. And it's very interesting the work you do with the songs. She was not teaching vocal technique, it was not about the voice, but really about the meaning of the songs. And it was fascinating to see how, like with other participants as well, when you when she worked on the meaning of the song, then the voice was much better without saying, use your head voice or chest voice or do this or that, just by the meaning of the songs. And also, the it was quite um, uh, a work... Uh, you know, a meeting with yourself because why do you choose such and such a song? You know, where does that take you? And it takes you to deep and, you know, you have lots of emotions. Because I, I remember at the time I would choose a, songs that were related to, to death a lot somehow. Because, I've, you know, with the veterans, uh, we, we lose, I mean, a third of the population at Pearly Health die every year. So there's 450 residents, a third is 150, you know, times 20. That's a lot of death, you know. Uh, so, um, so it was really, really profound, profound work, you know, uh, with her. And then, then uh, you know, by singing and by that training, my singing uh, improved. And now, you know, I'm happy to, to, to have the singing as part of my, of my uh, you know, my performances. But what the also a challenge about singing is that you don't have an instrument to hide be, behind, and that's hard. It's just you, you know. And that's what I, I also it helps me a lot when you know you were talking at the beginning performance where I engage the audience as much as possible, you know. To build a bridge with the audience and you know to be able to sing without an instrument and to then it helps you to be able to talk and just present mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. which I find that uh, some musicians that are excellent with instruments but then they're terrified about, about the idea of speaking to the audience you know yeah. But myself, when I first, the only context I've had for that are uh, infrequent chamber music concerts, because I mostly play in orchestra. But when I would do it, I did feel I was very nervous to talk, yeah. but it, it got better. And then I felt more connection with the audience and it helped my nerves, actually. Yes. Because it wasn't them and me. It was we were all in it together. Yes. And it helps the music. And mm -hmm. I, I'll give you an example. Um, Recently, I did a concert with a fabulous pianist, Catherine Duncan, and we did a, a concert called A la rencontre de Pan et Syrinx. So when the god Pan meets Syrinx. So in the program, we had the prelude of the afternoon of a fawn. I played Syrinx, she played Debussy. We played the piece uh, was La Flûte de Pan. So repertoire that's not, well, the, Prélude de l'après-midi de la Fonde is more known, but 
the flute and piano repertoire that we like to play, the French repertoire from the turn, at the turn of the 20th century, it's not necessarily well known like Mozart would be or Bach. So anyway, uh, one of the women in the audience, she came to me after the concert, and she said, you know, when I saw your program, she said, I thought it would be long and boring. I don't really like Debussy doesn't have, it's so modern, doesn't have a melody. But she said, the way you presented it, because then we had the whole story of God Pan chasing Sirenx. She didn't want to have anything to do with him. And, uh, you know, we brought the whole thing in the story and a piece that had three movements that lasted 15 minutes, well, we stopped between each one. And we, we, it was a descriptive piece at the end, uh, La Plus Flute de Pain. So we, we, uh, you know, we had fun together finding, you know, in the descriptive music, you would have, a, you know, like, that's a, it sounds like the water, and at some point the wolf was coming because it was about the sheep. So we shared that with the audience. They were laughing and... And then that, sh that woman, she told me that, that it made her appreciate Debussy. I thought that was the best compliment, you know, that she could uh, give me. So that, to work on that, on talking in the audience, to engage them, to build bridges, to, to take, to receive what they give you, uh, it makes a whole difference in, in your concert. And I'm saying you receive because... Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes or often, I don't know, we have a hard time receiving in the sense of getting on stage, receive the, receive the audience, the applause. You know, we kind of bow and we go to our, you know, we go hide with our instruments and, and, uh, and even, you know, even recently I was playing with, uh, I was, I was, I was being an MC and singing a bit with the chamber music group and, one of the members at the end of the concert, she said, oh, she said, you're so good at being the MC and talking. And instead, me was talking about the, the importance of receiving, instead of saying, oh, thank you, that's really nice of you. I said, oh, well, I do that every day. Yeah, I did not receive what she was telling me, you know? Mm. And the work at Pearly Health is a lot about receiving. Because we, as musicians, we, give, we want to give, we're, we're giving, we're giving. But the music is, is a, a tool for relationship. So you have to accept, it's building bridges with the audience, building bridge. So you have to accept, yes, you, you build a part of the bridge, but you have to let them build their part of the bridge too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, in terms of mentors, I wanted to talk about, let me get this right, name. Jeffrey Gilbert. I was, okay. I was reading up on him. Yes. So interesting. Yes. And he had described his uh, tenet of his teaching was compassion. Oh. I, I mean, he was, he was fantastic. He brought my flute level way up there. I did that. I went six months with him and he was, he was in Florida. So Jeffrey Gilbert, um, he, a British uh, flute player, and he he was at the time when the in the orchestra that the the change from the wooden flute to the silver flute and he he's actually he's one of the uh, one, one of James Galway's teachers um, mm. 
So anyway, Jeffrey Gilbert, uh, so I spent six months, he was teaching in Florida. We had students from all over the world. So we would have one master class a week. And then uh, we would uh, practice like crazy, you know, enough to get tendonitis and, <laughs> and all these problems. But um, the first, uh, oh, quite a few weeks, I was playing the same two, three bars of the Mozart concerto all the time and he was making until I got it right the sound right and all that it was so uh, um, it was so good so good and then once you if you worked hard it was so it was it was uh, excellent in in really bringing you to another level and uh, so so British this was uh, was great yeah so he was very demanding, but you didn't feel like um, put down. No, never. That's that. Yeah, never. He was demanding, but I mean, I've seen other teachers putting. Um, you must have too, who yeah. put down. I, I mean, I, I saw a, t a teacher in a master class who took the flute of the student, put it on the piano. He said, "Kneel, okay. Put your hands together. The only thing you have to do now is pray." I mean, I was, that's. Horrible. That's horrible. No, Jeffrey Gilbert was so gen gentleman, a true uh, gentleman, really, really kind and very generous, but demanding for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was reading about the flute history, you're saying like uh, yeah, the wooden flute was still used in British orchestras, but also no vibrato. And then it talked about Marcel Moise. Oh, yeah. And another one of my guests, actually Christopher Millard, the former principal bassoon player here, yeah, yeah. he studied with Marcel Moise. Oh, yeah. He was one of his mentors. Oh, wow. So we talked about him in that conversation that I had with him. People are interested. Yeah, it's, who I guess started that whole French flute playing uh, tradition. Yeah. And also, I was curious um, in terms of your training, because you weren't a serious flute player as a child or teenager like it no. you kind of fell into it right well my mother played the piano so we were mm. very exposed to the, the the music of course and uh and she became organist at, in my hometown of saint Césaire in quebec that's on the south shore of montreal and i remember as a as a teenager with my sisters one of my sisters i remember she taught me the chords so we would have the lyrics of the song and I, we, I just learned the chords, you know, like, uh, I don't know what, the, you know. So if we sing, I don't know, you are my sunshine, na, 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 and the chord G, or, you know, the chord. And then with time, so that's what we did. And we used popular songs of the time in Quebec and all that and play chords and sing. So that was my first. And I would play recorder. I played recorder in, in high school. And then in high school, when the, we had a new high school, and then they had flutes, and I've always loved the sound of the flute, so I started the flute. And then I was, when I got it to uh, Cégep in Quebec, uh, before going to university, I actually, I went into business administration. And I had a band on the side. And after my second year in Cégep, I started not to like it. And I, I was thinking that, you know, all the boys with their little briefcase and their newspaper. I don't know. I thought it was fake. I, di I didn't feel I was fitting in. And then a friend of mine who was in my band, she said to me, she said, why don't you go into music? 
said, ha, I'm not good enough, da, da, da. Anyway, I was 17, and I took a year of flute lessons, and then uh, when I applied at university, I applied in business administration and law school and music, and then I thought if the music doesn't work, I, you know, I had a backup plan. So uh, anyway, I ended up ac being accepted in all three, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go into music because, and then I remember my father saying, you're accepted in law school and you're going into music. Mm. And then I thought, well, I'm 17, you know, if I'm 40 and music doesn't work and I can always go back and study law or administration, but the opposite is much harder, for, of course. So anyway, my dad said, well, if it makes you happy and they bought me a flute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I, I haven't turned back. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So then I, I, you know, I applied at Ottawa University, uh, uh, Ottawa U, University of Ottawa, and uh, because then I didn't have to redo my CEGEP. I had, I could do a bachelor degree in four years instead of three in Quebec, and so that, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that's how. So then from one thing to another, and going to Domaine Forget, then doing master classes, then my level improved, and I ended up doing a master's after Jeffrey Gilbert, then I did a master's in performance at the Université de Montréal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And was your goal at that time to try to secure an orchestra position? Hmm. I, I don't think so, really. You yeah. know, I don't think so. I, I, I'm... I've done a little bit of orchestra in Toronto, like I did some uh, shows, I was in Phantom, I did some subbing in Phantom and Showboat, and I did a bit at Ottawa U, but uh, I, it makes me s so nervous to play in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. So I prefer to be alone on stage and have 300 people in front of me, you know, and then I don't know, I guess maybe, I don't know if I feel too remote from the audience when... And, 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 and you have to be so precise in the orchestra. It always made me very nervous. So uh, I knew that I didn't... I remember when I was doing my master's in Montreal, I was looking at what other flute players were doing. They would study to, in France, the Conservatoire de Paris, then would come back to Montreal, then try to gig and try to... And I, I remember not wanting to do that, and I didn't know what I wanted. So then when that course in Toronto came, it was the music performance, and then when it, the course in the Guildhall, it just, um, you know, that was my path, you know, without knowing in advance what I wanted, and that led me to Pearly Health. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> I'd heard you say, again, in another interview, that um, in the, before there were computers, the list you're given of the participants was like typewritten and then if someone died you'd have to white out the name i found that so touching yeah yeah we would actually we had the blank page we would write the name by hand the new the residence that we have and then when they pass away and i remember first time i did the white you put the white out on the on the name of the resident and i thought i wonder when they're gonna put white out on my name yeah yeah yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah, when they pass away, that's the that's the hard part of the job. And one time, uh, it brings me to a story. Actually, earlier I was talking about receiving. Uh, one of the residents who uh, 
he was uh, he was a very uh, active in the in my music group when it was they call it music with Trudy. So he would refuse to go to his dental appointment because no no it's music with Trudy. So and he would suggest songs like I remember he suggested this one, uh, Dark Dark Town Strutters Ball. I'll be there to get you in the taxi, honey. Better be ready by half past eight. Now dearie, don't be late. I want to be there when the starts playing so he taught me that song anyway and then there came a time that he was dying he was and so I went to see him and to say goodbye I'm gonna try to see that story without crying anyway and then as I came out of the room I was walking down the hall and then other resident I'll call him Kevin uh, he saw me he was sitting on his bed and he saw me and he said Trudy he said Trudy he said uh, What's wrong? Because I was there, you know, crying. I, uh, so I said, well, I said, uh, I said, uh, whatever name, Jack is, Jack is dying. And uh, so uh, I, you know, I sat beside him and I was crying. And then he just, he took my hand and he said, he started to sing. You'll never know just how much I love you. You'll never know just how much I care And if I tried, I still couldn't hide my love for you You ought to know, for haven't I told you so A million or more times You went away and my heart went with you I speak your name in my every prayer If there is some other way To prove that I love you, I swear I don't know how You'll never know if you don't know now He sang that to me holding my hand. I mean, I was just raw. So anyway, I said thank you. And, and what was interesting is that he didn't try to console me to say it's okay. and what. He just sang to me the way I would sing to somebody, you know? And, and then a couple of days later, I went to see that same Kevin who had sang to me and he wasn't in, in, in his bed and all curled up like in the fetal position. And I, I saw the, the, the nurse and I said, uh, how's Kevin today? Oh, she said, don't go see him. He's very depressed. He won't go to your music, blah, blah, blah. Well, I thought, I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> so I went to see. So he wasn't there. So I sat beside his bed and I said, Kevin, he said, what? I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what? Well, I said, two days ago I was very sad and you sang to me. So I started, you'll never know, just how so I sang to him. So then he smiled, then he, he opened up and then we talked for 30 minutes and then he came to the music room. So oh. I know, I know. <laughs> So anyway, so um, yes, uh, so we, 
we receive a lot, you know, we give, but we receive a lot in that job. That's for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious that you've made the choice not to teach because you are so such a gifted communicator and so generous. Well, it's haven't had the need. Or... Well, I taught a little bit, but because mm. I was teaching, uh, you know, a group setting in, in Toronto. And, right, in the school. I meant privately. Yeah, and then probably yeah. when I came to, to, to Ottawa, I taught in the Montessori school for a year, but that didn't work out. And then, you know, that pearly job came. And, you know, being four days a week there, so yeah. I did not need financially to teach because... I, with 40s and it leaves me some time to do other concerts and all that and how, how can I put it I'm not a flute person a flute play mm. I'm a, I feel more musician than the like the, the all the technicality of the flute and the repertoire and some flute I mean it's all it's all good though I'm not I'm not judging it's just mm. not me uh, some flute yeah. players they like to change flute and change the head joint and the shop and for me, it's just, you know, it's just, yeah, I just didn't have the time, really. I was asked, and I just didn't have the time because of what I was doing already. So, I, you know, it's something I never developed, you know. Yeah, so I, I noticed, like, when we've been talking, yeah. you've I've mentioned things, and things have come to you, and you've spontaneously just, these songs are in there. Do you have set lists in your weekly, in your daily concerts with the residents, or is it very spontaneous? Uh, it, It's both, mostly... Uh, I mostly I will have a theme every week, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, different. Like uh, it could be, uh, I don't know, songs about being happy. So happy days are here again, or the happy wanderers could be about happy. Uh, it could be uh, like with the, and I have different flutes for like when it's. Uh, Robbie Burns Day, like in January, I would play uh, like the Skyboat song. This one here. Uh, or if I, sometimes I use percussion instrument and, and then they could play with me. And jigs and reels and that sort of thing. Uh, themes, oh my God, I have theme in the spring. I will do a theme about trees and blossoms or flowers or sometimes the songs of Gershwin. Or, uh, you know, I try to change the, the theme uh, every week. Uh, there's, of course, Remembrance Day, the war songs, songs about the fall, the colors. I love to do that theme about traveling. Let's travel. Let's go to different cities, and you know. Uh, so we do. We do. Uh, we go to Paris. Sous les ponts de Paris, lorsque descend la nuit. Or we go to uh, San Francisco. I left my heart in San Francisco. Uh, so that we, you know, so we travel. We talk about where we've been and the places we've liked. Um, yeah. 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 And sometimes the, the, the theme that comes, comes from them too, you know. Uh, sometimes I ask them what you want to sing about. And, and sometimes also it is spontaneous. Yeah, sometimes it's spontaneous. Um, you know, start, get, the, get them awake a bit, you know. You start with grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worries on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to 
the sunny side of the street. <laughs> and how did the pandemic affect, like, I can't imagine singing in a mask. I guess you must have, or do you still do that? Uh, that was, well, it was hard for everybody, yeah. especially for our residents. Uh, at first, uh, the first six months was very difficult because, yes, we have the mask and we had the shield and we had the gown. And there's some days I didn't play music at all because I had to help with the feeding of the residents. We did a lot of FaceTime, uh, Skype connection, video calls with the family. So that was hard. And I would singing with a mask is really not good at all. So I really had to pace myself not to sing too much, take breaks and all that. And I would not do groups anyway. It was all one-to-ones. Mm -hmm. So I would go with uh, my ukulele and uh, sing in rooms, you know, uh, one-to-ones. <clears throat> so we did quite a bit of that. Or sometimes you, with, with the pandemic, it brought, it brought the iPads. We didn't have iPads before. So with the iPads, at least you can put the music on the iPad with the speaker and, you know, you can talk about the music, not necessarily you making the music. But after six months, um, actually that summer, yeah, the summer 2020, because we have closed courtyards, I was able, I was allowed to play my flute outside, away from the residence, far away from the residence. So then with the, the, the flute, because of there's four walls, it's a nice uh, reverb. So I did that, and then uh, our, the January after that, they, they made, they build, uh, one of my colleagues, he built a shield to put in front of the piano, so then, uh, which, which I'm still using, so I can take the mask off, because we still have masks, <coughs> so I take the mask off, and so then I, with the microphone, my speaker, then I can, I can sing, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, so, but it was, I mean, it was for the residents, you know, it was, it was so... It's very sad, very, very sad to see, you know, yeah. Did you see a lot of deterioration in people because of the isolation? Yeah, yeah. Some people died of isolation, I think, or heartbroken more yeah. than the COVID itself. But, I mean, I don't have numbers, but I would think so, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. we're moving ahead. <laughs> yeah, we are. And you had done, before we started recording, you mentioned you'd done one of those concerts. Um, so I, for people who aren't, you know, in our country or province, so yeah. uh, there's a, it's a uh, organization called Concerts and Care, which is really great. I've done stuff for them both live and online. Yeah. And you said you were playing for hundreds of, of homes, not just residents. Yes, I mean, uh, maybe not hundreds, but uh, I, I do, uh, beside Pearly Health, I do play in retirement residence and I do less long-term care now, but yeah, with Concerts and Care, it's a great organization, that, but also on my own, I do that as well. Yeah. So um, so it's great because I I already have all the repertoire and they're not, they, they're not used to uh, hearing all the flutes because I, I bring all my flutes and mm -hmm. so that's, uh, that and the ukulele also. And, so uh, yeah, I do that quite a bit, which I enjoy very much, you know, because then I go and I just play the music. At Pearly Hell, that's part of my job is to actually, I have to bring the residents to go get them in their room or in the dining room and gather. So all that time, and then you have to take them back and then somebody needs a tissue, somebody needs a sweater. There's all that, that, 
that the caring, that I can see nursing part of the job that we, that is part of the job and, and which also helps us knowing the residents, you know, when, yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But I meant like uh, to do those online concerts. Oh, online. It's been, yeah, because that's what I meant, like you're reaching so many people. It's, it's interesting when I've done it because it, especially, you know, during a lockdown, it's amazing. You can actually, you know, connect with people yes, this way. Yeah. But, you know, they're usually on mute and, unless it's a discussion time. So it's like this silence, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. It's hard. And, and But you get used to it in, in the sense that it's like I've done a few uh, concerts with uh, the Music Performance Trust Fund of the Music Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, at first it's it is it is weird, but you you imagine you you look at the camera and you imagine that you're on TV. And uh, what's 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 a bit strange is the silence after you play, and you have the silence and to feel comfortable with that and not awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's like you have to get used to to it and feel okay just being you and being there with the camera. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But it was it was a great tool. It allowed us, you know, to do uh, more, you know, to do concerts, even if we couldn't do them live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So coming face to face with with death and end of life every day, many times a week, it changes your perspective. You you value your your time more, I imagine. Yeah, because you you never know. I've said that in an interview. Uh, you never know who's going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So time is of the essence in the sense that, for the, and that's what's great with technology, with, with the iPad now. Like before, someone would ask me a, a song for a song, and I would have to go to the computer, look for it, mm-hmm. learn it, find the lyrics. Now it's like, oh, that's, I don't know. Oh, I went the other day, I went to... Uh, see, this, uh, there's a French-Canadian uh, from Quebec resident, and uh, we always we don't speak French together. We speak Quebecois, you know. Yeah. Um, so he he sees me and he says, uh, "Hello, my pitoun. My pitoun. I hadn't heard that in so long. Pitoun is like a I don't know what you call it, endearing word. You know, my little one, my bon, my pitoun. Then he started my pitoun, my pitoun. He started to sing, and I thought, what is this song? So right away with the iPad, find La Pitoune Chanson. It was a, a song by La Bolduc, who is the... La Bolduc was a, the first uh, French-Canadian singer-songwriter in the, I don't know what years, was it in the 30s probably, that she was mm-hmm. very popular. And so, you know, these kind of songs that... I can't remember La Pitoune, though, but, you know, she would uh, sing songs like uh, La Bastrain. Mademoiselle, voulez-vous danser La Bastrain, la Bastrain. That kind of song. So, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, having the iPad, right away we were able to, to, to see that, to hear that, to connect, to have fun. Because the day after, I don't know if he's going to be there. I think so, because he's pretty good, but, you know. But, uh, mm. well, like it happened to me that one time I went to see a resident who was end of life, and I knew he, li- he loved opera. So uh, 
I, I brought the iPad and the speaker and put Maria Callas singing some arias and he, he was able to say that, he, yes, that he liked it and all that, you know. And uh, the day after, I thought, well, I'll go back, you know, and again. And I was waiting for the nurse to come out of the room, you know, to go because she was giving him medication. I was chatting with another resident, so she came out. I finished the conversation, then I went in to see him with my iPad. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh my God, he changed so much since yesterday. Well, in that five minutes, he had passed away. Hmm. So, it's, oh my gosh, you know. So it's good that I went the day before, you know, I hmm. brought him a bit of music before. And uh, so, but that, that, I mean, I'm smiling, but it, it's, it's, you know, that's hard, but for sure it's hard, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And there was a resident who was a professional sax player, a jazz musician. Yes, yes, and that's uh, yes, actually, and I, uh, yes, he was a professional saxophone, well known in the Ottawa community. And uh, he, he had some dementia, and he hadn't been playing because he was, I think, ninety-four. He hadn't been playing the saxophone. He was an arranger, composer, and uh, conductor of bands, and very well known, uh, and. He hadn't played for a number of years, but he had his saxophone. And when I asked him to play, oh, there was no way he was gonna play. And so I had his saxophone fixed up because there was some leaks and stuff, so I had it fixed up. And then I had a couple of, of his friends come and he would refuse to play. So one day, instead of talking and asking him, I wet the reed of the saxophone, I got the sax already. His friend trombone player was there too. And I just put the sax on his lap with the strap around his neck. And then I went to the piano and I went, Blue moon, you saw me standing alone. He started to play because that's what you do. The piano starts, the trombone starts, I play. So then um, after that, I uh, invited four or five of his uh, buddies from the old days they came to the courtyard, it was in the summer, in July. And, and we arranged that with family, you know. And then we had this saxophone. And the morning, the, the, that afternoon, the musicians were ready. Okay, we're going to go get him. He didn't want to come out of his room. <laughs> so then his daughter, his daughter says, Listen, Dad, Trudy arranged your buddies to be there. You're going to come out of the room. So anyway, he came and he played with them, you know. And, and it was... Yeah, and we had the you know a group of resident audience and it was fantastic and then that was his last gig so that was July and he passed away that September you know mm. so it's fantastic it's really great to f be able to facilitate that and and for the family also and the friends you know to to see him the way he is really deep down the real mm. him you know the musician so that's uh, that was that was a that was a good one. That was really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what kind of lessons do you find you learn from the residents? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is to slow down. <laughs> to slow down and take the time to... Because when I started, I, have, I was used to doing concerts for children and all that. So I would be in a rush to start and all that. But to take the time to to be seen 
by the resident, take the time for them to realize that they are seen also, take the time to be heard, take the time to hear them. Uh, yes, that, that's take the time and, and to, uh, to re you know, I'm going back to receive and, and in the sense that uh, uh, they, 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 they give us a lot. We have to give them the time to, to build their part of the bridge, you know, because if you go all in 100%, you don't allow them to come towards you and to come. Um, I mean, how important relationships, you know, building relationships with people and how music is the tool, you know, it's a great tool to connect with people and with these people and, you know, Life is short, as we say, and it's true. You never know who's going to be there the day after. Um, and, I mean, with the veterans, they, they, they served us. They gave us freedom, you know, and it's something that I never realized. In my family, there was nobody in the military. And, and um, yeah. They gave us our freedom. We owe them a lot, you know. Yeah. I, I'm circling back to something I actually heard you talk about in another context that I found quite, quite inspiring. That you had said, the people we surround ourselves with in life, if they don't have to have our passions, but if they have their own passions, they can inspire us. Yes, I've said that. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That's... Yeah, yeah, I like to, uh, I love being with people that have pa different passions, you know, sometimes you meet uh, like nephews or nieces that you don't see often, you know, and then when they express their passion being, I don't know, flying, traveling or repairing things or I don't know, you know, whatever passion it is, uh, yeah, 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 because it, it brings back my passion, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I forgot I had said that. <laughs> it reminded me, I, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about the benefits of being an, I don't know if they use the expression nerd, but basically um, even like a fan of a, of a certain star or whatever, things I wouldn't have thought would be so beneficial psychologically, but they really are because anything that you're really interested in, it brings you so much. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what I'm interested in uh, at the, now, after so many years in in my career, doing what I'm doing, what I'm very interesting in interested in is to to serve the audience, serve the seniors by teaching others to serve mm -hmm. them. You know, so. Uh, for musicians, for example, to teach them how to transfer their musical skills into communication skills, to bring music to more audience, and for them to be 
better well-rounded musicians as well by doing that you know so I'm working on that at the moment with uh, developing workshops for musicians to do that and coaching mm -hmm. so that's kind of my new passion in a way you know yeah yeah that's so needed and wonderful are you going to have an online model as well as in person or that's the goal for sure I'm starting by developing the in person and uh, but actually there's some interest in online as well so this is might mm -hmm. be developing quite quite quickly uh, I hope uh, to, to reach more people in that sense you know and as also Excellent. as the population you know we say the population is aging so there'll be more and more needs for musicians to be out there playing for seniors and as you know performing uh, uh, performance uh, you know, with, with the two years we've been through the performance live and the concerts uh, it's hard to rebuild that so there's a lot of possibilities uh, playing for for seniors and and that helps you know it's interesting uh, a number of years ago I sent a recording of my flute playing to a CBC producer who knew me as a singer mm -hmm. and when I, she listened to my recording and she said, just by listening to me playing the flute, not saying a word, just playing, she said, you're a very engaging flute player. I thought that was interesting. And, and my husband was telling me also that since I work at Pearly Health, that how my playing got better. So I really believe that if musicians do more of this, um, you know, of engaging the audience and learn to be, to present themselves as them, you know, uh, along with being, you know, being a musician. But if they learn to trust, as I say, I want to help musicians trust their own authenticity so they can build bridges with others. Well, did you want to leave us with any music? I could do that. Oh, when it, there's a song I was thinking about, you know, I, I say, uh, I, I say that, you know, to receive what the, what the residents give us. Sometimes it's okay to say no. I'm saying that because uh, one time I was singing this song. It's called, I can't give you anything but love. Baby, that's the only thing I've plenty of. Baby, dream a while, scheme a while. You're sure to find happiness and then I guess all those things you've always fight for. Gee, I'd like to see you looking swell. Baby, diamond bracelets, Woolworth doesn't sell. Baby, till that lucky day you know that well. Oh, baby, I can't give you So I was singing that with, with a group of veterans, you know, and I wanted them to sing more. So I said uh, to this president, I said, uh, come on, I said, uh, come on, Hector, you know, give, I wanted them to go baby. So I said, come on, Hector, I said, give me a baby. He said, anytime, girl. <laughs> so I went, Shh. 
And as I was saying it, I just wanted to take it back. But it's too late. So sometimes we just, we say thank you, but no. <laughs> and there's something maybe uh, to, to end with music. Something I play also, uh, I use my piccolo. And repertoire that they really like is, uh, of course, the, uh, the fiddle tunes, you know? Like uh, uh, this one here, St. Anne's Real. That's my fiddle. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So that's what I do. <laughs> it's just so wonderful, Gertrude. Is there, are there like a couple of songs that over the years you just always keep in your repertoire because you love them so much? Uh, yes. Then you see my my little ginger there. You can come yeah, and visit. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go, go. Uh, the, what a song that I one of the first songs I learned at Pearly Health with the veterans. It's this one. It's called Let Me Call You Sweetheart. And I love that word, sweetheart. We don't have the equivalent in, in French, you know, car sucré doesn't work. Uh, I don't know. It goes like this. Let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. Let me hear you whisper that you love me too Keep the love like glowing In your heart I so true Let me call you sweetheart I'm in love You know, one thing also at Pearly Health that uh, that made me stay there, you know, mm. it's it's always changing. There's always new songs to learn. There's always new challenges. My most recent challenge is that one of our residents, he's a great writer. He writes poems, you know, and stories, but mm. poems. And one day he asked me to put music to his poem. And I'm not a composer, you know, but then working with him and I would start, I would ask him, uh, okay, what's the feeling to it? You know, what do you, what, okay, what's a jazz ballad or I'm thinking of, he was thinking at some point to a 2001 Odyssey for another song or whatever. So then I would start with, you know, I would start with chords. and okay is that what you feeling okay uh, and then with the words with him you know with, with the and i was okay that sentence doesn't work doesn't fit with the timing of the music so we're up to now i think four or five songs that uh, mm-hmm. and then so then like after composing it then i record it so uh so that's it's it's challenging and it's fascinating and i think okay yeah well, i can i can do this you know so that's uh always to um yeah just uh, always to to uh, to improve and and to go out of your comfort zone you know a bit and that's that's a uh, that's great yeah that's very good yes keeps the passion alive
Yeah. Actually, that's been a big theme, actually, in your life, is going out of your comfort zone. It's true. It's true, eh? Yeah. yeah. Unknown territories. <laughs> I just wanted to thank you so much for today. I really appreciate your stories and your music. Oh, you're very welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to share, to share all these, these uh, stories and elements of my passion. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, your website will be linked in the description, okay. so your workshops will be linked. So I hope you can be a mentor to many um, fellow musicians. It's, it, you're so inspiring, oh. and I just loved hearing your music and your stories today. <gasps> Thank you so much, Leah. I hope this episode resonated with you. I really endeavor to show the breadth and depth of a life in music by featuring an interesting variety of musicians worldwide. Thanks for following this series. Have a good week. <laughs>